This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. As we were worshiping, you know, just let's think about the, the word I'm going to share with you tonight. Just, just felt just to keep us focused. You know, we could go on and do the, the announcements and stuff, but sometimes we just need to be focused, come out of a time of praise, of worship, of giving glory and honor unto God. And I just sensed, you know, I had an introduction form a word, but just sensed that, that you know, again, the, the Spirit of God saying, what God is looking from us is fruit. God is looking for fruit from his people. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 11. But just with that in your mind, that God is looking for fruit in our lives. I'm just going to read a few scriptures here. Mark 11. Starting at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it, was, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered into the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who, brought in the t- who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The, the, the story of the fig tree here, and when we read it in, in, in Matthew, it lumps it all together. But Mark breaks it down a little bit more here. And he puts the piece about Jesus cleansing the temple into, in between the two pieces about the fig tree. And he doesn't do that just to fill pages. He's doing that because it's connected. 
It's connected in a big way. And this is why I, I said at the start, what Jesus is looking is fruit from our lives. And quite simply, very straightforward, he came to this fig tree and he looked at it from a distance. And this fig tree looked as though it was, in, it was flourishing. It looked like it was full of fruit from a distance. Now, it goes on to say, because it was not the season for figs, and just to, just to clear that up, you know, because people could say that Jesus just cursed the fig tree because he got angry with it, but it wasn't the season for figs. But there's two things commentators say. They say, when it, when it says there, but it wasn't the season for figs, it wasn't the time for harvesting of the figs. That there should have been figs, because when the leaves appear on a fig tree, figs should come with it. Figs should actually just come before it. And the second thing that they do say is that even if it wasn't the time for figs or for harvesting, at this time of the year in Passover, which is, you know, as Pastor was saying this morning, is around March, end of March, middle of April time, there should have been what's called the, 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 the to, to wash, not to wash, but to, to wash is the, is, the, is the Greek word for it. And it's the bit that just comes before the fig grows. But it's edible. It's fruit. It's substance. And Jesus came to this tree and he looked at it from a distance. And in his mind, I'm sure he thought, there's something to eat on that tree. There's fruit on that tree. Because it was full of leaves. It looked luscious. It looked like it was flourishing. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus goes up close to the tree and he starts to sift his way through the leaves and he starts to see there's nothing on this tree. There's nothing on this tree that, that is going to feed me. There is no sustenance in this tree for me. There's no life in this tree that I can eat off. There's no figs whatsoever. There's not even a bud on this tree. And the Bible talks about how the fig tree at times represented Jerusalem. And that's true. But I believe it also represents the church. It represents the church as well. And sometimes, and this is, we have to ask ourselves some serious hard questions. I know we've been challenged over the last number of weeks when Paul James was over and, and, and other messages that we've heard um, from pastors as well. And we need to ask ourselves, if someone looks at us from a distance, do they see us flourishing? Do they think something's happening in there? But if they get up close, will they see fruit? Someone gets up close to your life as an individual... Will they find fruit? You know, you look as though you're flourishing, you're full of leaves, you're full of, of, of vigor. But when they get up close, do they start to find fruit in your life? And this, I believe, is what Jesus done with this tree. He got up close and he started to look for the fruit. He started to pull back the leaves. And he started to say, well, there's no, there, there's no depth in this tree. There's no fruit. It looked like a fig tree from a distance. It smelled like a fig tree, 
had the bark of a fig tree, but it had no fruit, none whatsoever. It had nothing to offer Jesus. It had nothing to give to him. It had nothing to feed his hunger. And then the story goes on. And I believe this is why Mark puts it right in the middle of, this, of, the, of the story of the fig tree. He goes into the temple. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. Now imagine this. It's one thing a fig tree, but it's another thing God's very house. Jesus, the owner of this house, of this temple, comes into his very own home. And what does he find? What does he find in his very own home? And he found people selling. He found the money changers right in the temple. He found people conducting their own business in his house. He found people using his temple as a shortcut to their own gains and their own means. How did Jesus feel that day? He's already had an encounter with a fig tree that gave nothing to him. And now he comes to his own house and there's nothing there for him either. This is one of the saddest episodes, I'm sure, in Jesus' life when he comes into the temple. What way would we have seen the temple that day? Would we have walked in and, and thought, seen all of the activity, seen all of the stuff happening? And would we have said, there's something happening here? This place looks like it's flourishing. This place looks like it's full of activity. Look what's going on in here. But then when Jesus went that little bit closer and he found there's nothing here for me. There's no fruit. And he says, and it says, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was angry. He was angry. He was angry at the fig tree and he cursed it. And he comes into his house and he's angry because there's nothing there for him. You know, it says there, he overturned the money changes that turned it in his house into a place of business. He calls it there in, in, in verse 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A den of robbers. He didn't come in and say to them, you know, this and this needs to stop. This is not right. He calls it a den of robbers. My house has become a den of robbers. Back in, if you can read it later in John 2, when he cleansed the temple the first time, when he made a whip of cords and he drove them out, done exactly the same thing. And he says, you've made it a place of merchandise. But now, three years later, 
He's coming in and he says, you've made it a den of robbers. Now, this wasn't the first time this had happened. Listen, Jesus had visited this temple for 33 years of his life. He had been coming for 33 years. And this didn't just happen. It just didn't come to the temple one day, the year before, and it was great. And then the next year, it was a den of robbers. Something had went wrong. Something had got in. And you ever notice in our own lives, and sometimes it's imperceptible to us, if we become slack in our lives with God, and we become slack in our ways with God, we become slack in prayer, and things start to slip into our lives. Isn't this the way it works? It's happened to me, it's happened to you. But is it still happening? If things imperceptibly have started to slack and have started to wane. Because over a period of three years, it had went from a den of merchandise to a den of robbers. In a period of three years. The downward spiral. Because God's house is his house to bring fruit onto him. And if we're going to treat God's house to bring fruit onto ourselves, or it's going to be a downward spiral. And in our own lives, if we're allowing things in, we're being slack, being slack with the things of God. Listen, without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be a downward spiral. And how far that goes down is, depends on how quickly, by God's grace, we realize where we are with God. But Jesus came into the temple and there was nothing there for him. Nothing there for him. I'm sure he was grieved. He was let down. He was dismayed. And he was angry. And quite rightly angry. You know, the Bible talks about how he overthrew everything. And he done it with authority. How could he do it with authority? Because it's his house. It's his house. You that know Christ tonight, you are God's house. He owns you. You are bought with a price. And he has liberty. If he is not happy, to start turning things over. To start throwing the tables over. To start driving things out of your life. And let me be honest, it's uncomfortable. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in situations. It's uncomfortable. But it's more important that we do drive it out and we let him drive it out. This house was to be a witness to all the nations. A witness to all of the nations. You know, on the day of Pentecost, we've been talking about that today, all the nations around were in Jerusalem that day. When Paul, after the Holy Spirit fell, it gives a list of all who was in the, nation, in the city that day, all of the nations from around. It was a witness to the nations. And in this time, this temple should have been a witness to the nations. They were all there. 
Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations. When God spoke to, to Abraham, he says, you'll be a blessing to all nations. Your future. Now there is a fulfillment in the future for that. But this temple should have been a witness to all the nations. But it had nothing to offer Jesus. And because it had nothing to offer Jesus, it has nothing to offer the nations. And that brings it to us. If we have nothing to offer Jesus, then we have nothing to offer the unsaved. We have nothing to give. We can, yes, God can save through witnessing, but there's no blessing in it for us. We've nothing to offer as an individual and as a body. Listen, we can look like there's plenty going on there. We can talk the talk, we can walk the walk. But behind the scenes, deep in the heart, the thoughts of our mind, Jesus is looking, spreading the leaves, and he's finding, is there any fruit? Is there any fruit in her life? Is there any fruit in his life? Is there any fruit in the body? Will he find some? Because as I said at the start, God wants fruit in our lives. He's looking for fruit. You know, Jesus saw that day a den of robbers, thieves. He even called the Pharisees that they were, they, they were, they were dead men's bones, full of dead men's bones. On the outside, they had all the robes on. There was plenty going on, the, the activity. But inside was dead men's bones. He called them whitewashed sepulchres. Lovely white tombs. You ever go to one of those old cemeteries? And it's all big elaborate stuff. Whitewashed. Looks great. It's full of dead people. And Jesus makes that analogy to, the, to, to, the, to Israel, but also to the church. We can have a facade of plenty happening. And we can be dead on the inside. Listen, we all know how to play it. We all know how to fake it, for want of a better way of putting it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't struggle at times, but we know when we're cold. We know when we're fruitless. But God wants fruit. The Pharisees that day saw activity. Look at the crowds that are in the temple. Places full of people. They saw the finances coming in. They saw the money changers. They saw gain. They saw a form of blessing. But it wasn't the blessing that God was looking. They saw things flourishing. I'm sure it was full of color and vibrancy in that day. But Jesus saw with the eye of the spirit. And the Pharisees saw with the eye of the flesh. And listen, there's only one person's assessment counts. And that is what God sees in our lives. I know this is quite intense and heavy. But see the outcome. God wants fruit in our lives. God wants to bless us. 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit in our lives. A den of robbers. This has been a pattern over, over years. 
And as I say, it can go unnoticed in our lives. Sometimes we just don't pay attention. God wants us to pay attention. Pay attention to our lives. The outward show can disguise dead men's bones. It's a facade. There's fruitlessness. But God wants fruit in our lives. He wants to fill our lives with fruit. He overturned the, the, he had the authority to overturn it. And he has the authority to overturn it in our lives. And there's a couple of ways we can do it. We can invite him to come and search us. Or he will come himself and he will do it. But it'll be a lot more painful. You know, we heard Paul James there a few weeks ago, and, and I don't know about yourself, I was very, very challenged with the word. And I went home, and, and the scripture had turned up, and, and I prayed sincerely, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting we need God to do that in our lives I know I need him to do it in my life because I want fruit and I believe you want fruit in your lives Jesus said he allowed no one to carry anything through the temple and commentators tell us that what was happening that especially even with Gentiles, they were going about their business. But especially on these days, they were cutting, there was a shortcut through the temple. And they were cutting through the temple, going about their own business. And God says, no. Jesus stopped them. You go about your own business, but you're not going to do it in my house. And you can see where I'm going sometimes we're going about our own business in the house of God listen there is some people within the house of God who it's a job to them who it's a thing of prestige it's a, it's a something to glory in themselves but God says you're not going to do you're not going to make yourself rich on the back of me. You're not going to make yourself rich on the back of my house. He says, you go outside my temple. I want fruit in my temple. So we stopped them carrying. And then he said, verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus, in the midst of this, starts to teach them. And this is, so, this is I, I, why he had to, I believe, turn over everything. Because they had to once again see the contrast between of what, where they were and where he wanted them. He had to lay down again the law. 
He had to lay down again what his house was about, what his house was for. But before he could lay that down, he had to shake it. He had to shake it. And the Bible talks about a shaking. And a jaw will shake things. And there's some things will remain. But there's some things won't remain. And I believe God is shaking his house. I believe God is shaking his house. And he's exposing things. And the wood, the hen, the stubble is coming to the top. And he's saying, get rid of it. Move it out. It has no place in here. We want gold and silver and precious stones. So he turned it all over. He exposed it. He cursed it like he cursed the fig tree. That has no place in my house. There's no fruit in that. There's nothing in that for me. That's all about yourself. God says, I want fruit for me. It's his house. But then he goes on, he contrasts it. This is what it should be. This is what my house should be. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, automatically, I ask myself a question, and I hope you ask yourself the same question. We start to look at ourselves, and we say, what needs, what do I need God to shake? And then we need to hear the words of Jesus. Am I a house of prayer? Are you a house of prayer? Are we a house of prayer? My house shall be called a house of prayer. What does that mean? It just doesn't mean getting down on your knees and praying. It's everything for God's glory. It's everything again being turned to glorify him, to bless him, to give him fruit that he requires from us, that he demands from us. It's turning ourselves and saying, God, your way, not my way. As Jesus said in Gethsemane, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what it means. It's turning it back and giving God his fruit. It's giving him our lives afresh. Putting the dross out, getting rid of it and saying, Lord, I want you, your blessing in my life. Let my life be a blessing to you. Let my life give you fruit. I don't want you coming and sifting through my life and finding there's nothing there. We want God to come and find fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Westminster Catechism says that the chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's put very succinct and very simply. But there's such a depth in that. The chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And look, if we give God our lives in prayer, in, in, in laying everything at his feet, then we have something to give the nations. We have something to give the unsaved. We have something to give the town of Mora. 
we have suffered in this whole area. Because first we give ourselves to him, then we have something to give to others. And sometimes we're trying to give to others and we have nothing to give because we haven't given to the Lord. If we have fruit for him, then we will have fruit to give. My house shall be called a house of prayer. If there's no fruit for Jesus, then there's no fruit for anyone. He eats first. He eats first. You know, I've heard people in the past and they've said the most important thing to God is the lost. I don't think that's right. The most important thing to God is his glory. Then after that, God's glory is the most important thing to him. The glory of his name. And we're trying to win the lost without God. We're trying to get fruit when we have no fruit within ourselves. It's turning to God. It's in the temple turning back to God. Then we have something to give the nations. We have something to give our families. We have something to give our unsaved loved ones. We have something to give the town of Mora. I'm trying to keep it very tight in our imagination tonight. But he eats first. He eats first. Then we have something to give after that. Just turn over the page here to Mark 13. We're almost finished. Just a couple of verses. Verse 1. And he came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The disciples were proud of the temple. They were proud of it, as the religious leaders were. But Jesus said, this place, and it was within 40 years, this place will not be one stone upon another. What does that say to us? Jesus is not interested in the outward. There was a temple of stone, a temple of man's making. Yes, God had commanded them to make that. But here comes the real temple himself. The temple of God, Jesus Christ himself. And he replaced that man-made temple. Yes, by God's pattern, but it's moved on now. It's a temple of flesh. It's Jesus Christ himself. He's not interested in the outward. He's not interested in the facade. He's not interested in our pretty clothes. Although that doesn't mean you can come in whatever way you want because we're coming before the king. But that's another message. <laughs> but he's not interested in the outward show. He's interested in the heart. He wants to get beyond the leaves and he wants to get down to the fruit. God wants fruit. God wants fruit from our lives. Just turn with me real quickly to Luke 13. It's our last scripture. And again, this is just a very, very sobering passage. 
But if we hear what the Lord is saying, it can be a very encouraging passage. Luke 13, verses 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years, it's interesting there are three years, because Jesus' earthly ministry has lasted three years. Now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. That's a serious warning. A serious warning. Here we have another fig tree that's not given any fruit. It's planted on this, this, this man's land. It's good land. It's well-tended land. It has a fine dresser. It has a gardener who looks after it all. This fig tree should be bringing forth fruit. It's been well looked after. But it's not bringing forth fruit. And he says, cut it down. I find there's no fruit in this tree. Cut it down. Then the gardener comes in, the vine dresser, the intercessor, the one who wants to stand in the gap. This represents Jesus. Jesus is the intercessor. And he comes in and he says, let me dig around it again. Let me dig the soil up around it again. Let me feed it again. And then we'll see what happens next year. He's trying to cause it to give it every opportunity. He's given it every opportunity to grow and get nutrients from the ground again. And commentators even go on to say, and I believe it's what pastor does with us and the other guys that preach here to encourage us. Really what we're trying to do by God's grace is dig around your roots. We're trying to put manure on you. Sorry to be so crude about that, but you know what I mean. We're trying to feed from the word of God as God leads and guides. We're trying to get nutrients to cause you to grow. And the serious thing about this, I, I think, is I'll give it another year. Give it another year. And then next year, if there's no more fruit, then come, you, you can cut it down. There was a last chance for this fig tree. Now I must say, no, it's our last chance. But coming, there is a last chance coming for this earth. There's a last chance coming for this earth. And by God's grace, we want to be digging the roots and we want to be feeding on the word of God, which is the manure. It's the feeding that we need to feed on. Listen, guys, God's looking fruit, especially in these last days. We are living in the last days and God is looking for fruit.
I just felt it so strongly there just as we finished the praise and worship. God is looking for fruit in our lives. And we need to start feeding. We are well fed here every week. But it takes action. It takes action. You know, and I'm keeping it local. We can talk about the wider church. But we must face this ourselves. Go before God and say, God, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, I don't want to miss God. And I know you don't want to miss God. Is it possible to miss God? Yes, it is. Don't, don't think that God, you know, God's going to do it all. He's just going to come to me. We need to respond to God. Don't think God wouldn't pass us by. Uh, I told a story in our, our cell group, and I may have told it from here, but it's worth repeating. Duncan Campbell was used in the, the Hebrides revival, 1949, for two or three years. But when he was a young man, and he got saved, and the Lord was using him mightily, he worked for the faith mission. And he knew in his heart that God was calling him to work for the faith mission. And he was getting married at the time. And he thought to himself, I need to be providing for my wife, for a future, a home. Genuine thing. But God's calling was upon his life to go with the faith mission. Would it have been a, an, a, a life that was unsure in the natural? Yes. But when God calls you to what he wants, he provides. But he went to train for the ministry. And he got a congregation, he got a pulpit. And for 17 years, he was in that pulpit. And he says himself that, yes, there was times when God did bless, but never anything to what he knew. And it came to 17 years, and God came to him again. And he said to himself, God came in his mercy to me again, used his daughter. A testimony you can listen to, you can read it. It's well worth listening to. And God came afresh to him. And he left that church and went to work for the faith mission. And ended up seeing revival in the, in the outer Hebrides and in other places around the world. And the thing that frightened me and should frighten us, I believe. Frightens maybe too strong a word, but God let him go for 17 years. God let him walk away from what God really had for his life. Was there some blessing? Yes, there was. Was it what God wanted? No. God wanted more for him. And yes, God is merciful and will come to us again and again. But we don't want to miss God. We don't want to miss God. I encourage us tonight to start digging again. To start asking God to search our lives. To start asking God to dig up and start turning over a few tables in our lives. 
Will it be uncomfortable? Yes, because some of the things that God wants to turn over have been ingrained in our lives. They've been there for a long time. But is it worth it? Yes, it is. Because the fruit that God will bring into our lives will more than wipe out the memory of the years that the locust has eaten. We don't want to miss God. I don't want to miss God. You don't want to miss God. We as a church don't want to miss God. I encourage us to go and get down before God and start to pray again. Start to give God what he wants. Start to give God what he wants. And then when he comes to your life and he starts to find fruit that he can feed on, Listen, you and I will be over the moon. You and I will be so fired up in our lives that the fruit will just start to multiply and multiply and multiply until there's a 30, a 60, 100-fold harvest. I'll come back to my original quote. God wants fruit from my life, from your life, from the life of this church? Does God have everything that we need to have that harvest? Yes, he does. But we need to go before him and say, God, would you start turning a few tables over? Would you start throwing a few people out of my life? Would you start to throw a few things out? Would you get rid of the wood, the hay, and the stubble? Lord, I want gold. I want silver. I want precious stones. I don't have to ask you what you want. You want gold, silver, and precious stones. And God is able and willing to give them to us if we pray and seek his face. God wants fruit. And our lives will be full of fruit if we allow him to do it. That's the message tonight. God wants fruit in our lives. It's a challenge. But I don't want to miss God. You don't want to miss God. You know what you need by the Spirit of God. Some of the things that you need to, to turn out, to turn over, to throw out. There may be other things that the Spirit of God will highlight. But listen, God wants your life full of fruit. Full of fruit. He wants to come to the fig tree and find handfuls of fruit in your life and my life. Let's pray. Father, tonight we're just challenged by your word. Lord, you want fruit from our lives. Good fruit. Lord, we don't want to, from a distance, look like we have fruit. 
We want you to get up close and find fruit in our lives. Now, Lord, you'll not even have to dig very far into our lives before you find that fruit that brings praise and glory and honor to you. And then, Lord, the world will come and they will find fruit. They'll find fruit onto their souls. They'll find the freedom that we have found in you. They'll find the love that we have found in you. They will find the salvation that we have found in you. Lord, you're coming back for a church that is spotless. Lord, we ask you to come. I pray for your people tonight. The Lord, that you would give them the grace to allow you to come in and to start to take things out of their lives. To start pointing a few things out and saying that needs to go. That needs to move. You need to give that up. Lord, give them the grace to say yes to you. Because, Lord, you want to fill their lives with fruit. Lord, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss you, Lord. Lord, would you come? Would you come in your grace and your mercy? Lord, we as a people realize, Lord, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Lord, we've been talking these number of weeks on the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We need the power of God in our lives again. Lord, we need the power of God in this temple. We need the power of God in this temple that brings glory and honor to you. Lord, make this house a house of prayer unto the nations for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. For your glory, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.